Hey, everybody. Well, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, Genesis 21, or your worship guide works just as well, almost just as well. Maybe it's the same passage. Um, I had a seminary professor just who was so passionate about when you get up to preach, even if you're reading from an iPad, hold your Bible so the people know where it's coming from. <laughs> Maybe there's something there. I don't know. The sermon is not about that. I don't know why I'm telling you this. Uh, let's pray. <laughs> Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in our church, in our city. Uh, thank you for what you're doing in the world. Lord, it gives me assurance uh, that what you're doing here at Hope is the same game plan that you have been doing since the very beginning. Uh, what you're doing in Portland, same game plan. Calling people to yourself. Uh, causing them to trust in your anointed one, Jesus. Uh, filling us and calling us as your people to be witnesses to who you are, to what you're about. Lord, I pray that in this time you would do more than teach us, although I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would do more than transform us and help us to grow, although I pray that you would do that. Lord, with all of my heart, I pray that you would help us to see Jesus in his glory and to worship him with all of our hearts. I pray it in his name. Amen. Okay, we're going to do today during the sermon time, we're going to do a, we've done this before, we did it on Zoom, uh, weeks and weeks and weeks, I guess months ago now. So this will be our first in-person in sermon drawing time. So during the sermon, especially kids or grown-up, grown-ups who were excited about that, you know, drawing, or maybe everybody, we're going to draw some stuff as we move along in the story. So I'd invite you uh, the first page of your worship guide should be blank, or if you would like, there are, uh, just in the lobby, there are like these coloring sheets, which are great for so many of us every week. On the back, it's blank, if you want to use that, and there's crayons out there too. So get that ready, because we're going to be taking some notes that way. Uh, but let's start, not with that, let's start with the scripture, Genesis 21. 1 through 21. Uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time in which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. 
And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he took bread and a skin of water, and he gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. And when she went, then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God, angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the boy heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand. I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave it to the boy to drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness. He became an expert with a bow, and he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, kids, Christmas is coming up, right? Yeah, it's coming up in about three weeks. Does that seem like a long time to wait? Do you like Christmas? And three weeks seems kind of like a long time to wait. Can you imagine Abraham and Sarah waiting 25 years for their big day, Isaac's birth, to arrive? Three weeks away waiting for us to celebrate Jesus' birth at Christmas kind of seems like a long time to me, even though we have Christmas decorations up here. I can't even imagine what it would be like waiting 25 years. You know, what's interesting is that this big day for Abraham and Sarah that they waited 25 years for, when it finally arrives, we get to read the story about how it happened. And we only get seven verses talking about the day that Isaac was born. And sure, those seven verses are, include laughter and joy and a new baby. But here in this passage, if we just follow the flow of thought, we get these seven verses followed by 13 long verses about something that's kind of sad. 
about Hagar, this really a, another wife, although she was a servant and a slave of Abraham being exiled, and about her son Ishmael having this near-death experience, and about Sarah casting them out. Sarah goes from great joy to almost what feels like deep jealousy and vengeance. Now, why is this? We've been waiting. We've, we've been in this for four months now, this story. Remember, right at the beginning, Genesis 12, that's right, when God calls Abraham, he promises him that he's going to have offspring. He's going to have a son. And we've been looking forward to that. He's going to have offspring, land, and blessing. He's going to have a son, that son, and it's going to turn into a great nation that inhabits the world that God blesses because of Abraham's offspring. And we've been waiting month, 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 four months. And we finally get here. And I was so excited to just have this, preach this sermon of just about the birth of Isaac. And, you know, we're waiting on Christmas, birth of Jesus. And that would be it. And like, we get in the text. And this verse, this passage is coupled with this other story that it can't be separated from. The big question is, why would God and all of his wisdom give us the account of Isaac's birth that we've been waiting so long for in this story, that Abraham and Sarah waited so long for, and give it to us in a way in the story that's inseparable from this other piece about the other wife and the other child and how they were cast out? Well, there's one of the things that we've talked about through this series is God's word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Moses first penned this, and Moses had Hebrew editors that came after him, but they were all inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that whatever Moses wrote, using his own personality and literary style, and those editors did, the Holy Spirit worked in them to put together a account, a word that's without error, that we could trust. And the words that we find here, their meaning come from God, but also the way the words fit together to make a story come from God. And we don't just learn from the words themselves, we, we learn from reading it. So when we come to a passage like this, the, the long-awaited birth of Isaac, and it's coupled with this story of the other family. We can't separate them. They go together. And God shows himself in both parts of this story to be a God who keeps his promises. 25 years before he had promised. And on our timeline, four months ago, we started with this promise. And this whole passage, the Isaac part and the Ishmael part, start with verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And this passage ends with God making a promise to Hagar and Ishmael. So every week we ask, who is God in this passage? And the answer this week is he is a God who keeps his promises. And looking at that, the, the promise-keeping God, the power, the trustworthiness, the surety of God's promise shapes the way we read the whole thing because it comes to us in a way that I guess we wouldn't expect. So here's what we're going to do. This story is about so much more than Isaac's birth. It's about the power of God's promise, and the power of God's promise is given to us 
and the account of Isaac's birth, but the surrounding events, mostly with these two ladies, Sarah and Hagar, and their boys, Isaac and Ishmael. So here's what we're going to do. To start out, on your paper, uh, I want you to draw how, however you would like uh, Sarah, and then also draw Hagar, and with them, draw their two boys. I've done it here with stick figures, just so you can see. Do it in the middle of the page, because we're going to draw some things above and some things underneath them, okay? That way you don't have to start all over when we get to the end. And so as we go, I want you to draw these two ladies, these two, uh, these, these two moms and their boys, Isaac and Ishmael. And as we go along, use your creative brain to make them look like what you hear about them in the passage and in the sermon, okay? And when we're all done with this, I'd love to see your drawings after church. And if you would like, if you, if you, can, if you can give it up, give it to me. And then this next week, if you're up for it, we'll share it with the whole church in a weekly email, okay? Those of you on Zoom, you're invited to join us in this also. If you'd like to share uh, your picture afterwards, you can email it to me, charlie at hopeportland.org, and we'll share it with the whole church in the weekly email. Okay, so God's promise is trustworthy. He's the promise-keeping God. His promise is power, and we see that in the story of these two moms. So let's start with mom number one, Sarah. What does Sarah giving birth to Isaac tell us about God's promise? What does Sarah teach us in this passage? And what she teaches us, you can draw on your paper. Well, I'll just give it to you up front, and then I'll show you. Here's what Sarah teaches us in this passage. Sarah teaches us that God's powerful promise releases us from the guilt of our sins. Sarah teaches us that God's powerful promise releases us, separates us from the guilt of our sin. You know, it's, it comes across as ironic, but it's more than that. It's, it's the Holy Spirit showing us and teaching us something that he cares about in this passage, uh, that Sarah's best day, the day when she's overcome with laughter, is coupled with a time where Sarah pretty much comes across as, I'm going to say, maybe to be nice, maybe cranky. Uh, if we weren't so nice, maybe vengeful, short-tempered, maybe cold-hearted. Listen to this. Sarah had just we just hear about her giving birth to Isaac, and then when Isaac grew and was weaned, um, Abraham had a great feast, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, that's Ishmael, laughing. Now, do brothers laugh at each other? Do brothers fight and mock each other? Do siblings have rivalries? Yeah, of course they do. But Sarah sees Ishmael laughing, mocking his little brother. And she says to Abraham, she doesn't go to Hagar. She goes straight to, straight to Abraham. And she says, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not be the heir with my son Isaac. Ooh, that stings. 
Remember where Hagar came from? Way back in the story, when Abraham and Sarah were in Egypt and Abraham did the worst thing he ever did and told Pharaoh that Sarah was his wife to keep himself from being persecuted because he had a pretty wife. And Pharaoh took Sarah and then offered Abraham money in exchange for her, and Abraham took the money. Well, part of that money was uh, actual, like, money but also livestock and also slaves and then when they came out of egypt they came with this egyptian woman hagar who was called in chapter 16 their servant now you, you put that together and hagar came from egypt she was given to abraham's family as a servant as a slave but she's called a servant. There's different words for slave and for servant in the Hebrew. And even though she was given as a gift, as property from Pharaoh, she's treated in Abraham's household as a servant. That's, that's kind of nice. But then remember what happens in Genesis 16. Sarah gets tired of waiting for the promise for uh to conceive and give birth she gets tired away so she turns to a cultural norm handmaiden surrogacy where you could take a servant or a slave in somebody's household and substitute them for a wife and then the baby of that servant or slave would belong to the wife and the master now this is uh this breaks god's law it was a cultural norm but it it's not okay it includes adultery and in this case, in Genesis 16, it says that Sarah took Hagar. There's indication that it was not consensual. And Abraham being uh, the master of a slave, using his position of privilege and power, and Sarah in her position of power to take Hagar and to be intimate with her for the purpose of taking her child I would call that even abusive. But then, once Hagar has the child, she's, she's proud to be a mother. That's pretty natural. When people have kids, they're proud of their kids. And it offends Sarah. Remember this? And Sarah gets all mad at Hagar. And it says in Genesis 16 that she treats her harshly. And at that point, she stops calling Hagar a servant, and she starts calling Hagar a slave. Also in Genesis 16, when they did the handmaiden surrogacy, it says in the text that when she took Hagar, she gave Hagar to Abram as a wife. So Hagar, thus far in the story, started as a slave who was promoted to a servant, who was promoted to a wife, and now is called a slave again. And Sarah has been instrumental in this journey. Sarah has power over Hagar. Sarah has standing over Hagar and Abraham's family. There's no question that Isaac should be the heir. But here, at the first sight of challenge, here we go again. We see in Sarah's reaction here, we see a reminder of the sin in her life. The sin that she refused to trust God, that he would come through in his promise, and, and she went to this handmaiden surrogacy thing years before. We see the sin of her taking Hagar. It doesn't say she asked Hagar, it says she took her. We see the sin of 
Sarah encouraging her husband to commit adultery. No, Abraham chose that primarily on him, but she was involved. We see the sin of Hagar mistreating her servant. I mean, sin of Sarah mistreating her servant, Hagar. Here in this story, on Sarah's best day, when God blesses her, when the promise has visible power in her life and she has a baby, immediately after, we see her in her sin. Kind of like there's a pattern here in the Bible. At the very beginning, we saw Adam's sin right after his best day. And then after Noah was rescued, right after his best day, we see his sin. And after Abraham was called out of Babylonia and into Canaan, he went to Egypt and we saw his sin. There's a pattern here in the Bible of when God pours out blessing, the first thing that we see is our incapacity to receive it because of our brokenness and our bondage to sin. And here in this story, Sarah right after her best day in the text, goes right back to her old problem of not trusting God and of treating Hagar with contempt. Now, we see Sarah's sin, but we do not see God treat her according to her sins. God comes, Abraham is greatly displeased when she comes to him, and I understand. Ishmael is his boy. That's his son. And Hagar is one of his other wife, even though she was a servant. He's displeased. But God steps in and he says, Abraham, do what she tells you to do. It's like God says, you know, she has a point. There can't be a rivalry between these two boys. Isaac is the heir, so go with it. God treats Sarah as if she had the best intentions at heart, even though we see in the text that she didn't. God overlooks her sin and treats her as a righteous person. Why does he do that? In, in uh, verse 12, it says, God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy, um, because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. Why would God say that? Well, he gives the answer. For through Isaac, your offspring will be named. God is saying more than Sarah has a point, Isaac really is the true heir. God is saying, because of Isaac, because of this child of promise, we're going to treat Sarah, even acting in uh, a way that was inappropriate and sinful, we're going to treat her as righteous because of the boy, because of Isaac, because through him, your offspring will be named. Do you see where this is going? Isaac's birth represented more than just Isaac as an individual being born into Abram's family. Isaac's birth, Isaac's birth represented God's promise to bless the world, to renew the land, the cursed land of the world, and to give Abraham a nation, a kingdom, 
as it says later in Peter, a kingdom of priests to live in the blessed world. Isaac's birth represented God's grand scale plan of redemption that would culminate in Abraham's greatest son, Isaac's offspring, Jesus Christ, winning the world for God, renewing the land of the world, and blessing the world as Abraham's son. That's what Isaac's birth here represents. So Sarah, on her best, after her best day when she falls and we see a glimpse of her at her worst, God treats her as if she is righteous because her faith is in the boy. He's got to be the heir. God is doing something here. Just like Abraham believed God that, I, that there would be a child of promise and it, credit, it was credited to him as righteous, Sarah is believing God, even though she's expressing it and all of her sin is coming out. And God's treating her as righteous. You see it? So, Sarah's story in this passage teaches us that God's promise is bigger than our sin. It releases us from our guilt. So on your picture, you have Sarah and you have her son Isaac. Why don't you draw something there that represents Sarah being holy and righteous? Maybe a halo. You know, halos sometimes in old paintings show it's like light around someone's head shows that they're holy. Maybe you can, if you have yellow or something like that. Show Sarah as a holy woman because that's who we are in Christ when we trust the promise. Even though we commit all kinds of sins, even when we're trying to do good, God looks on us. And when our faith is in Jesus, he sees holy people. Okay, Hagar and Ishmael. What is Hagar's part in this story and Ishmael's part in this story? What does it tell us about God who keeps his promises? What do we learn from them? Well, here it is. Are you ready? Hagar's story tells us that God's powerful promise releases us from the shame of being marked with other people's sins. Hagar's story tells us that God's promise releases us from the shame of being marked with other people's sins. Sarah teaches us that God releases us from the guilt of our own sin. Hagar teaches us that God releases us from the shame of having people sin against us. You know, guilt and shame are different. And each one is sort of a multifaceted thing. But guilt, it's what happens to you when you have done something wrong and that wrong needs to be righted. You are guilty. It's like a legal thing. And we feel that in our hearts. But shame, although sometimes we bear shame for something we have done ourselves, shame very often comes to us because of the sins of other people that hurt us. When somebody sins against you, maybe somebody in your family, maybe something that happened to your family a long time ago, and you carry that sin of another person, that's shame. It's not the only way shame appears in our life, but that's a primary way. We feel it's almost like a deep, dark weight 
on our shoulders because we have to carry something that we didn't sign up for. That's Hagar. You know, in Jewish tradition, old Jewish tradition tells us that Hagar, her origin story, we don't know if this is true or not, but it seems to make sense, is that she was one of the daughters of Pharaoh. And because Pharaoh was trying to buy who he thought was Abraham's sister as a price, he paid a family member of his, a daughter. And Hagar becomes a slave. Now, whether she was a princess before or not, we don't know. But we do know she was somebody's daughter. Somebody loved her. And she was sold and she was carried off and she was mistreated. And she was not given a choice, as we see in the text, to participate in handmaiden surrogacy. And her son, the rights to her own son, were taken away from her. And even though, actually, in Jewish law that we see God unveil later in Exodus 16, right after the Ten Commandments, God commanded the people of Israel, first of all, you're not to have other Hebrews as slaves. But if you do, if a man has a woman as a slave and he is intimate with her, then he is to take her as his wife. No more a slave. Wife. And we see Abraham here. Take Hagar as a wife, and they continue to treat her as a slave. Hagar lived under the dark weight of Abraham's sin and Sarah's sin. And her son was considered the other boy. But God releases her from that shame. You know, here we have God visiting Sarah, and Sarah gives birth to a baby boy. That's the beginning of the story. Here at the end of the story, we have God visiting Hagar and Hagar laying her baby boy down to die. So that's the end of the story. And the contrast, Hagar's pain and misfortune and shame contrasts Sarah's joy and really privilege. That's why that's a, that's a good, she should, she's, she's, the, she's a wife. But there's tension here. Well, God shows up to Hagar when she has given up. Remember the name that Hagar gave to God? El Roy, God sees. God saw what happened to her. And she cried out to God. And Ishmael cried out to God. Ishmael, remember what that means? It means God hears. God heard them, and he showed up. And he picks, he shows them, he gives them water. And then he says to Hagar, up, up with the boy, stand up. No more drooping in your shame. You stand up. You be proud. You have something to stand up for. I'm going to make him a great nation. That sounds awfully like the promise that he made about Isaac. I'm going to make him a great nation. It says a few chapters earlier about Ishmael, that kings will come from him. He tells Hagar, stand up. And she doesn't have to go back home. She goes back to close where she's from, close to Egypt. And Ishmael goes on to learn how to provide for her and for himself, to hunt with a bow. And he becomes strong and mighty. And it says God was with him. How could it be that God would release this woman from the burden that she was under, the shame that she was under, even though, and bless her son, 
make him a great nation, and be with him because Ishmael belonged to God. How can that be when Hagar and Ishmael left the covenant family? Isn't Abraham supposed to be the father of all who believe? Isn't Abraham and Sarah, isn't that what God's doing in the world? How can they leave and still be blessed by God? Do you know what the answer is? Because of Isaac. Because Isaac was born. They left because there was truth to what Sarah was saying. There couldn't be a rivalry. Ishmael's inheritance was different than Isaac's. But because they left, Isaac would be born. And Isaac would grow up. And Isaac, the first link in the offspring chain, would have a son named Jacob. And Jacob, as another link in a chain, would have a son named Judah. And Judah, as another link in the chain, would have a son named Perez. And it would go on and on for generations until Boaz and Obed and Jesse and David and Solomon and Rehoboam and on and on and on and on until Jesus, the son of Abraham, was born in order to live his life and lay it down for who? The whole world, including Ishmael and his mom. It says he was with them. Now, folks, this is amazing. No more shame in the house of Hagar. No more slavery. God was with the boy. God that we learned last week is a God for all nations. And he worked through Abraham's family to lift up the insider and the outsider, the privileged and the oppressed. His promise is bigger than our circumstances. On your picture, draw something that shows Hagar as honorable, maybe a crown on her head. And draw something that shows Ishmael as strong. Now here's how we're going to wrap this up. Sarah's release from her guilt. Hagar's release from her shame. Ishmael's future as a father of many nations that God cares about. All happened because of God's promise being made physical in Isaac the first link in a chain of, gener of, of covenant children that would lead to the elect boy being born, Jesus Christ, who would be the anchor for God's redemptive promise. Now, you know anchors on boats, right? You have like the... Um, it's kind of curved like this at the bottom. And it's attached to a chain at the top. And right here is a beautiful symbol that connects the bottom of the anchor to the chain. And it looks like a cross. How convenient. <laughs> so here's what I want you to do on your paper. I want you to draw 
You've drawn Sarah as holy. You've drawn Hagar as honorable. You've drawn two boys. Would you draw them standing? On an anchor. With a chain that connects to that little boy, Isaac, the child of promise. This is what it looks like, folks, to be in God's family. Whether you, we all come as sinners, but some of us come carrying the burden of sins, and it's weighing us down. Put your trust in Jesus to anchor. We all come with shame, and some of us come uniquely weighed down. Put your trust in Jesus, the anchor. God's promise to bless us, to release us from sin and shame through Jesus Christ is strong enough to get rid of your guilt and to release you from your shame. Because Jesus, the anchor of our souls, was born and lived and died and was buried and rose again from the dead and has ascended to heaven and stands anchored there for us, his family of insiders and outsiders. To stand strong and free and belong to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for your love for us. Oh, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your promise that's true and that's strong. Thank you for Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac, who came for sinners like Sarah, came for slaves like Hagar. Thank you for coming for us. Lord, I pray that we would be a church committed to the gospel, a church committed to the gospel of being freed from our sins because of Jesus, and a church committed to the gospel of being freed from our shame because of Jesus. Help us to proclaim this message boldly, that in Christ we find forgiveness and restoration. Lord, we love you. Thank you for anchoring all of this in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.